Gabriel Kelly, I'm with Felicia Davin. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, oh, uh, okay. Like I, okay. I probably look a little strung out right now because I was up until 1 a.m. last night reading and thinking about your book. After I put away, I was like, okay, I put away at probably around midnight and I was still, I still laid in bed and stared at my ceiling <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about thinking about your book last night. I was like, I was like, okay, what am I going to talk about? There's so much to talk about. <laughs> there is. There's a lot going on in that book. There's so much going on, but like, here's what's messing me up about it: is that there's so much going on, but it is such an intimate story that like you can just talk about these two people who are in love with each other and just figuring out their shit in the world. And like, that's the whole story. You don't even have to talk about the rest of it, but the rest of it is so goddamn cool that you want to talk about the rest of it. Alicia, what did you do? What did you do? <laughs> uh, I wrote this book over and over again is what I did. <laughs> I think this, I... this is the book that I have written that has required the most drafts and revisions. I I can absolutely see that. Like, I picked it up and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is an epic. This book is like, I cannot imagine the amount of work that went into writing this. Like, okay, uh, to start, we're talking about the scandalous letters of V&J. And uh, this book comes out on May 16th. Um, so you have time to pre-order it, readers, it, listeners, all of you. You you should. <laughs> you absolutely should. It is an incredible book. It will take you on a journey. Um, and I I know. <laughs> so when you email me the arc and you're like, take your t- it's fine if you don't read it. Like it's a long book. Don't worry about it. I I was like, no, that's that's, that's fine. Don't I, I'll 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 I'm not gonna have any trouble. I I don't. I opened it up and I was like, oh, it's 500 pages long. That's a really long. Like that's a long book. Not a problem for me. I read like that all the time. Um, and there, I think like there is an expectation that when you pick up a book that is that long, that at least like the first dozen or so chapters are going to move at a like relatively slow. I mean, you got you got time to work, right? So things are going to be a little bit slower paced, obviously. Absolutely not. Felicia? <laughs> You you push us off the cliff immediately, and I love it. Yeah. Oh, that is, it's so interesting to hear your assessment of it, because, like, for me, the book, the first part of the book, you have V and J kind of meeting. So uh-huh. V gets evicted by their shitty family, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they move into this boarding house, and they meet J. And... um the first part of the book for me is like they get to know each other and there there is a kind of fantasy plot picking up in the background, but it is happening mm-hmm. very slowly and intermittently. Whereas like most of the letters and diary entries in the beginning are like, oh, my God, they're so cute. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. It's like, great. How do you flirt with someone? Wait, how does that work? <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're both like doing this dance of like, are they? Are they not like? Are they? Are we the same? Are you know? I don't. But how do you even approach that? You know, particularly right now. Like, I think it's first of all, listeners, you need to know that this is taking place in the 1800s in Paris, right? Um, and uh, it is historical. It is urban fantasy, but like so, like subtly at first that you don't really notice what's happening until all of a sudden you're like oh shit there's magic here yeah (laughs) this is i it is okay and it's also i so i i cannot say this word to save my goddamn life it's an epistolary epistolary yes epistolary there we go it's told in letters and also diary entries and little like uh like editor's notes and stuff which i yes and there are there are a few scenes that are in third person prose mm-hmm. because 
you can do a lot with your two characters. Like I made these two characters, like they live in the same house, but in different mm-hmm. rooms. And so they're like passing notes under the door for a while. Mm-hmm. But then I, finally I was like, eventually they need to be in the same room and they're not going to yeah. write letters <laughs> at that moment. No, I mean, you can, it is, you can have, you know, uh, V does a lot of, um, uh, diary writing. And then of course, uh, G- Jay is like always writing letters to their sister and it's like a really like lovely relationship that we get to glimpse while also they're gushing about this wonderful person they just met and are obsessed with mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but you're right like at a certain point especially as things get shall we say more intimate yes. one is not going to probably recount those details in 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 detail to their sister uh just (laughs) yes no probably not maybe but probably not yeah I really liked the idea initially of like V is a little bit isolated in the world like they Mm -hmm. have their aunt who loves them Mm -hmm. but um they don't really have any friends of their own age and so all of their like horniness and doubts and all that it's going into the diary whereas Mm -hmm. Jay has a loving family and they have a really close relationship with their sister. So they're writing to their sister all the time, uh, talking about their life. And you get also the difference between Jay writes to their mom and they're like, yeah, mom, I'm totally fine. Don't worry about me. And then they write to their sister. (laughs) They write to their sister and you find out the truth. Oh, my God. The part where uh, they tell their sister about uh, the naked paint fight hazing um was just extremely good and yes just by terrible. the way that is real that is a historical detail <laughs> of course it is of course it is yes so French. young artists and I'm talking about young male artists who uh-huh. wanted to get into the Ecole des Beaux-Arts in the 19th century Paris um mm-hmm. it was a very cruel system both institutionally like the the teaching was very harsh the entrance exam was very difficult and then once you got into the studio of the master artist the other young men in the studio would haze you Mm -hmm. and of course just like fraternities today the hazing is kind of both like homophobic and also homoerotic at the same time yes and um so this is a real attested thing. It wasn't actually happening in the 1820s when V and J is set. It was happening later in the 19th century, but I had to write it in because it's just such an incredible detail. And it was happening yeah. in the studio of an artist named um, Jean-Léon Jérôme, who was famously cruel and his students were famously like they got into fights and were really raucous all the time. They used to fight duels. Like they would force the newbie students to get naked and get up on the model platform and one of them would have a brush with red paint and the other one would have a brush with blue paint and they had to have a sword fight with their loaded paintbrushes. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that sounds as someone who went to art school for illustration, I can attest that things aren't that different mm-hmm. really. Yeah. 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 Oh, so that I uh I found that in a memoir from the time mm-hmm. So, yeah, my dad is uh, an artist and um, he was an art professor for a long time before he retired. And he was really interested in this historical moment. So I was able to pick his brain. I was like, where would I find out about the lives of people who were students at this school? And he pointed me to some sources. And that is where I came across (laughs) the paintbrush duel. I mean, well, the one thing. okay. This is, I think, listeners who listen to the podcast a lot will recognize my manic energy right now because there are a million things I want to talk to you about. Um, But one of those things was like one of the reasons I got so excited about your book as I was reading it was that you are doing so many things at once and you are doing them beautifully. Like I like it broke my brain when I was reading it because I was like there is no way she is balancing an immaculate historical novel right now set in a really <laughs> interesting period um, in French history uh, post-revolution just uh, this like on the cusp of uh, the industrial revolution is creeping forward we're getting like a little bit of like steam locomotion is mentioned but we're in this really weird in-between time in history right there mm-hmm. um, and then also we're getting a gorgeous love story that is not in any capacity secondary 
to that element. They are like perfectly in sync. You do not sacrifice one for the other. And then on the other side of that, we also have this really, really, really interesting urban fantasy going on um, with a fascinating and super simple magical system that absolutely tickles me. And I was like, Felicia, you're not allowed to do this. You can't do it all. You girl boss the hell out of this book. I, I, can't, I can't stand it. Yeah. Well, part of it is that. Uh, so I went to graduate school in French mm-hmm. literature for a really, really long time. And it felt even longer than it was. Um, <laughs> that sounds, sounds right. So so I read all of this fiction that is set in this moment. And then I didn't mm-hmm. end up going into academia for my job because it's a really tight job market and it just didn't end up being the right fit for me. Um, yeah. So I had all of this knowledge about sort of the literature of that moment and the the world at that moment. And I was like, I need to, I need to do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I love historical romance. Yeah. I read a lot of historical romance, but um, the majority of what is published and thus kind of the majority of what I read is set in England. Yeah. Uh, And I um, certainly love to read anything that's set outside of Regency England in space Mm -hmm. or time. Mm -hmm. And and I thought it would be fun to contribute something to that. Yeah. I mean, I... Okay, I want to I want to ask you. You said that you've rewritten this book like 100 times, which I absolutely yeah, makes sense. I I would love to know besides obviously you were looking for some way to use your years in graduate school. <laughs> yes. Um which also 100% legit. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh what what was the seed of this book? Like, how long did it take you to come to this final version? Because I know I know, I've I wrote a book that took me like ten years to to assemble, and it you know started in fits and starts and different iterations and you know different paths and stuff. Like, did you begin with this format? Did you begin with the characters? Like, I I would love to know the the origin of this epic. Yeah, it's a little bit hard for me to pinpoint a single origin, but they're certainly kind of a constellation of different origins. So um, in the very earliest drafts of this book, um, I wanted there to be a sort of Pygmalion element where um, the artist can transform art magically. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being, so Jay, who's the artist character, is trans and their Pygmalion statue that they're transforming is actually themselves. So, um, so they are a shapeshifter. So that was in the earliest, earliest draft. Yeah. And um, I also liked, I really like to write a contrast in personalities in my romance. And so you have Jay is a little bit more reserved and quiet. And then V is just too much all the time. <laughs> oh, they are, they both are so freaking delightful like the most chaotic energy coming from both sides just in completely different expressions jay is just like so sweet and like crippled by self-doubt and just like shy and doesn't know what to do with himself like it's like i don't just do they like me or not i don't know i think i've probably gone too strong and he's the same way has the same doubts right but is full throttle like what if I just touch their face? Yeah. What if I just did that? I think I'm going to just do that. I want to touch them. And also, like, Jay grows up knowing about magic. Yeah. And and feels, because of their past experience, has, like, very particular boundaries around, like, this is what magic is for and it's not for anything else. And V yeah. is new to magic and discovers it and is immediately like, I think I'm going to do a crime. <laughs> I think I'm going to do a heist ramp is like a 90 degree angle. It is amazing. I was like, because I kind of like, you know, you pick up the clues at first, like, you know, V has been disinherited and their father was like this, um, you know, banker with a lot of money and they're thrown out without 
reason or explanation, nothing. Um, penniless, living in a boarding house with with their aunt. Um, and you so you kind of get like hints of like, okay, well they're you know they're gonna get their fucking money somehow. Um, but the immediate like, I think I have a magic pen. What if I used it to rob a bank? Is <laughs> yes. so uh, delightful. Love you, V. Yes. Oh, and also speaking of the the constellation of origin points. Yes. So there there is a Balzac novel called um, Le Père Goriot, which in English is like Father Goriot or Old Goriot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's set in a boarding house, like a shabby boarding house in Paris full of kind of outcasts, misfits. And um, there's a young woman in it who has been evicted for no reason by her rich banking family. Mm-hmm. And so she was an origin point for V's character. And she is, um, she's sad and beautiful in the original Balzac novel. Like she's been treated kind of unconscionably cruelly by her family for no reason, just so that her mm-hmm. brother can inherit the whole banking fortune. And I was thinking about her as a character and I was like, why isn't she allowed to be fucking furious? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, why Why isn't she allowed to have a story about getting revenge on her shitty family? Yeah. And so I wrote a character who had that same situation happen to them. And uh, I decided that my character would be non-binary instead of being a girl, because why not? Why not? And yeah, uh, yeah. then I was like, yeah, one of the defining character traits of this character is that they are pissed. <laughs> Yes. And it's okay to be pissed when something unjust happens to you. And uh and yeah, so that that is one of the origins is that I I took something from the original French literature and just completely turned it upside down and inside out. Uh and that yeah. was really fun to do. So well, I, so, okay, so you had these two ideas. You wanted to incorporate this idea of, like, a Pygmalion-type, you know, uh, story with, with an artist. And then you had this, you know, super pissed-off French person <laughs> who's been, <laughs> yes. you know, unjustly treated and who's living in a shabby boarding house. How did you put those together? And, like, when did you start actually writing this book? I think I wrote the very earliest drafts in, like, 2019 or 2020 mm-hmm. my sense of time is now very strange oh it's all very wiggly <laughs> yeah now, isn't it yeah um and yeah it was not originally in letters so that came later mm-hmm. um but yeah I just I started thinking about how that's one of my favorite things to read in uh, yeah. in both older literature and also historical romance or contemporary romance like I love in contemporary romance when people text each other (laughs) or write each other emails like Mm -hmm. I just love to see the kind of materiality of how people are using the written word uh, to communicate and um, and I always have a great time writing diary entries and letters for characters so that was a later addition to the drafts but it was I think the thing that made it really feel like oh this is this is going to be a novel yeah this is something yeah (laughs) yeah I I definitely my first thought was okay I can see a version of this book where it is written completely you know in straight up and down prose right I I saw that and then I was like but this is a much more interesting story framed in the way you've done it not only because like obviously like you blaze through these letters and you, you were like, oh, you know, what are we missing? What what are what are they not saying? You're looking for the gaps that mm-hmm. you know have to be there, right? Which is another really fun way to experience a story that feels much more interactive. But on top of that, we are also seeing how the characters feel much more intimate, right? Because we are, it's like they're talking to us directly and I don't know if anybody, like, I'm one of those people who goes to an antique store and I'm like, do you have a box of old, you know, written postcards? Do you have letters? Do you have, can you, can I get your ephemera, please? Mm-hmm. I love that look because it feels very much like I immediately know what is important to the person who's writing. Um, I know how they address people. I know what they feel like uh, 
what their relationship is to the person they're writing to. Um, all of that can be conveyed in even the shortest little note, right? Um, and you, this whole story is told this way, which is not only extremely difficult to do and to not leave. I feel like it can it can feel very gimmicky if you don't do it right. And it's it, but you do it so beautifully that it just feels so immersive. And I, I, I when I was reading, it, I was like, this was so much work. <laughs> It was, but it was a good time. It was a good time writing it. Yeah. So. Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was. And I love that you open up with this little note, too, about um, uh, the editor is like, I, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in here that I probably shouldn't put in here because it's straight up nasty. But like, <laughs> but I'm gonna. So you're gonna have to deal with that. And that I, was a beautiful little cheeky little wink to the to audience. And I, and I, I love that. I, I love... One of my favorite things, um, and I've been called out on it um, by by readers of my stuff before, is that I, one of the most fun parts of writing for me is when I get the chance to pretend like I'm somebody in the universe, like I'm just like a like an editor or a, a journalist or something mm-hmm. who happens to be chronicling the lives of the people that I'm writing about. Yes, um, that is so much fun. <laughs> okay, I would love to know now. So you 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 started. You wrote. Did you write the entire? book first before you decided no it needs to be uh in a different format or how did you it was much much shorter before Uh it became epistolary so it was like novella length in Uh prose and um the yeah the plot changed vastly um yeah I was like I have this novella it's not working I have these two characters that I really like and I like the concept of the magic and I'm gonna take it apart and do something different. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was the first time I've ever rewritten something where I was like, I'm not even going to look at the previously written draft. I'm just going to yeah. start fresh. Take the vibes and run with it. Yes. Um, which, yeah, I I cannot recommend my own writing process to anyone else. <laughs> like you will never catch me teaching a seminar about like streamlining your writing process or writing faster. <laughs> Because that is not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think it was worth it in the end, the time that it took. So uh, I I absolutely agree. <laughs> and and it's one of those books I feel like when you read it, you you feel that way. You feel the time and the care that was put into it, which, you know, you don't necessarily notice when it's not there, right? A good, you know, a fun book can can be written, you know, in a couple of months and be just as valuable. As oh, absolutely. It, you know, yeah. Decades. Right? Romance is just full of people who are like doing some kind of witchcraft where <laughs> they're publishing so rapidly and nothing in their book would tell you that like the quality is impeccable but yeah, yeah. it's it's really it's mind blowing and i but i do think though that when you encounter a book like this where you have so clearly just like put like grains of sand. Every time you did something, you put another grain of sand on one edge of the scales, like just to make sure that like everything was perfectly balanced. Like you so clearly were chipping away at this thing with so much care that it's beautifully done. <laughs> beautifully done. Oh, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> Good. I, I, sh- I, should, I should not have said that. No one on the podcast would know. They can't see. <laughs> they can't see. I, I have made authors cry before, so it's fine. Don't worry about it. You're, you're, you're still doing okay. I just, I, I think I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed by the the fact that you you did manage to write such a beautiful love story that feels so very personal from minute one from minute one you care about these characters um but i i would love to know um how did you how did you decide to to because i i understand that you you had this inspiration for um the you know v's character right was that like the reason you put it in this time frame and in this place or was there something else like obviously you wanted to you were very inspired by french literature but like what made you decide to make this also a, like an epic historical novel yeah i think it is um the the time frame comes from the setting of those original balzac novels although yeah. this was another 
thing that happened. Like originally it was in the 1830s and then somehow over the course of my drafts, like it got adjusted backward. <laughs> yes. Um, originally V and J were separated for a much longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that that was too much, that I was, I was putting them through too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I shortened it. And um, one of the dates that is kind of the fixed point around which other things were adjusted is that um, so Jay as an artist has uh, an exhibit as part of the annual salon, which was a real event, like all of the sort of living artists would try to get in. It was competitive to get your work into the salon. And um, they were not held quite annually. They were a little bit irregular. And I found the the Musée d'Orsay on their website, they have an old database of the brochures from these oh, exhibits. So cool. And um, and I went looking for like, what are the dates of the salons? Because they, you would think being a, a modern person, like, oh yeah, it was annual and it happened every year in August or whatever, but that is not yeah. at all how it worked. No. <laughs> the, the sort of seasonal start points change throughout the years like sometimes it's one year apart sometimes it's two years apart sometimes the salon lasts for eight months sometimes it lasts way longer than that you know like um but anyway i found like a brochure for a salon date and finally i was like you know what i am sticking a pin in this yes (laughs) and i'm gonna make all my other dates which are a little bit random kind of fall into place around this one thing yeah so um, but that was a really fun little kind of research excursion that I did. <laughs> well, I so I I want to know what did your research look like for this book because you I mean we while we're getting the the book filtered through a very intimate lens of these letters these diary entries where someone is not necessarily going to um they're they're talking to people or to themselves who who are living in the world they don't need to describe things necessarily you know when they say they go to a place they. They don't describe what that place is to the person they're talking to because probably the person knows. Um, So the actual like intensive, I need to immerse the reader in this world kind of research doesn't come through in the same way. Um, But it's clearly there, though. You obviously did it. So I would love to know what your research was like and how you found ways to implement it in this structure. Yeah, Okay, so I've talked a lot about sort of reading literature of the time, which mm-hmm. kind of gives you the the mood, the vibe, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, I've talked about reading so the the artist's memoir about what it was like to be a student there yeah. and um, the salon brochures. I spent a lot of time. Um, the French National Library has an online database called um, Gallica and it's free to search and they have tons of old documents that they've scanned. It's really cool. And so I had some maps of Paris from that moment. And um, I also was comparing them to, it's a little bit hard to find photography from that moment because it's before the true kind of ascendancy of the camera. But I had some photography from later in the 19th century. There's a photographer named Charles Marville who took a lot of pictures of the city. And um, part of what he was doing was documenting the city before um, Baron Haussmann, who's a late 19th century Parisian figure. He sort of redesigned Paris, like the Paris that we know today with the wide boulevards and this sort of classic kind of white building with, you know, five stories and balconies and the little mansard roof. Um, Mm -hmm. That is Haussmann's Paris. And before he bulldozed a lot of areas where poor people lived in order to... Oh, that that classic story. I love it. My favorite. In order to redesign the city, um, Paris was a very different map and it, it made a lot less sense it was a lot more of a kind of squiggly medieval city because it because it grows up organically as yeah. opposed to being planned like we're used to now there's no there's no grid it's just well, you put a house there and that's where john lives and now you got to build around it so and a really frustrating thing about writing about paris in particular but this probably applies to other cities where you're writing about their history is that 
Um, the street names have changed a lot since. So in France, they changed during the revolution. Like the revolutionaries mm -hmm. renamed the streets after, you know, liberty and various revolutionary figures, enlightenment figures that they would like to celebrate. And then the monarchy gets restored and they rename the streets back, some of them anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then a few decades later, you get Houseman who comes along and not only uh, renames the streets, but actually makes different streets. And so the map looks totally different, but they're often kind of recycling street names. And so you can name a street that someone who knows contemporary Paris will be like, oh, I know where street X is. But then if I'm using street X, I might have to specify like, well, actually it was over here, <laughs> this moment. which is why I ended up not naming a lot of streets. Yeah, fair enough. The book, yeah. because it's, it's such a snarl. Um, there's a couple of street names that I made up because I was like, okay, I have to give an address here and I'm just gonna invent it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of, there's a moment actually where V is describing where their childhood home is. And they actually mention that the street has been renamed because I like this detail that like people who are living in Paris in the 1820s, even if they weren't alive for the revolution, they have this sense of kind of the whole world being a little bit unstable because yeah. for so many centuries there was monarchy and then all of a sudden there was a revolution and the monarchy ended and it does you know you get napoleon's dictatorship and empire and then you get the monarchy restored and it's not the same as what it was so there's not a real sense of stability there so it's a very interesting uh, moment to write in. And I think people feel the sense of possibility still. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole 19th century in France is extremely tumultuous. Like you get more revolutions, you get coups, the government is changing a lot. Well, you're also you're getting like uh, this, we're also at the, the very start, the, the moment when scientific advancement begins to really ramp up so everything is changing like culturally and also scientifically and the things that we recognize as being modern are being born right at this moment um but as they're you know you know as v and j are alive it is a very uh it is it is like the breath just before the exhale of this thing big thing that's going to happen and so you picked such an interesting time in history to have them just kind of waltzing around Paris doing their thing. Um, and I and I I was like, when I was reading, I was like, this is not a period besides the fact that, like you said, most historical romances aren't in aren't in France, you know, at least, you know, in the English market. Um, a lot of them are just in, in Regency England. It's same old stuff, which are which is good, which is good. There's a reason we like them. But uh, then we, if we do get books that are set in France, it's usually in the court, right? We get, it's this period of glitz mm -hmm. and glamour and we don't talk about the poor people. <laughs> um, but this moment of, of cultural instability and massive world change is just as interesting, I think, particularly for what would be mostly the common man, right? Um, before they, they wouldn't have had much to do because they can't really mobily go where anywhere you know culturally speaking you're born where you're born as good luck um but here we have this chance of, of transformation which is so beautiful and perfect for the characters themselves because this is probably the first time in history where they can kind of do what they want this is the beginning of maybe you can remake yourself in whatever image that um is good for you right yeah. Um, well, and another uh, sort of historical detail that's not explicitly in the book, but that I had mm -hmm. in mind while writing. So if you read any romance, queer romance that is set in Regency England, if it's about mm -hmm. two men, they're mm -hmm. probably going to talk about the fact that sodomy is a crime. Yeah. And so they have to uh, be careful who they trust with their personal life. Um, whereas in France, 
after the revolution, um, that's not a crime anymore. Uh, it is not necessarily socially acceptable. Yeah. But, um, but people were doing it and they were not in fear of prison or execution um, for being openly gay. Yeah. Uh, and so that is part of the background of the world that like, it is okay to do this. It's not illegal. And um, the other important historical personage of this moment uh, who I had in mind is um, the writer Georges Sand, who was a woman writer who adopted this male nom de plume, pen name. Mm -hmm. And um, she was famous for what at the time was cross-dressing, wearing pants. And uh, so I have a character in the book who is loosely inspired yeah. by her, um, which was very fun to write. And so that was just, it was important to me to uh, make it clear in this world that like there are gender non-conforming people mm -hmm. at this time. And some of them are publicly out and known and, uh, and accepted. Like not that there weren't people who... Uh, condemned Georges Sand and what she was doing, but that uh, she was a hugely popular author, and most people were yeah. kind of like, "Okay, <laughs> I think that's what, her." What's, the, what's your line you use in the book? Right, right there at the beginning, where you say, "Like, I guess geniuses can get away with anything, or something. Yes. Like, they can get away with with uh, with doing what they want." Which is, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, and and it's very much part of Jay's artistic ambition that. Um, if you are a successful artist, your eccentricities will be accepted. Yeah. Uh, and so that, uh, and that was historically true at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, that, that definitely, that definitely comes through. I mean, in both, both characters, right, are, it's, it's such an interesting balance of both of them are completely accepting of themselves they're trying to figure themselves out like that's clear but they are not it's not angsty it's not like oh god who who am i what am i doing it's like i don't really know and that's okay and i'll figure it out or i won't and that's fine it's not no one else's business um and and but at the same time they are both aware of obviously like how to how are they going to work that into their daily lives um but it's not in a way that like I, I don't know there there wasn't there wasn't a lot of fear in that it wasn't it, it was it was just a really beautiful just like this is the system I want to do what I want how do I do that yeah and I think um I really I didn't want to write uh queer people in history suffering for their yes. queerness like they do they yes. suffer in other ways <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like this is yes. not a cozy book with no conflict in it. No. No, absolutely um, not. Uh, but it was important to me, like, especially because I was writing this character who does get kicked out by their family. Yeah. Um, and it's not unconnected to their identity as a queer and non-binary person, but I wanted it to be that that's actually not the the reason. No, like the reason. No, the reason is greed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was that was a really I, that was one of the first things that really endeared me to it. Where I was like, oh no, they're they are just getting kicked out because their their family sucks. Um, and and that's and, and that's not good. But also like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, and it was also very important to me to um to give V the character who is kicked out one yeah. loving family member well and they also they had a good relationship with their mom but their mom is not alive anymore yeah um but their aunt is alive and is like yeah i'll move into the boarding house with you and like support you and i i know who you are and that's cool yeah yeah <laughs> i loved her i loved her she was so good i i the the scene with the sponge was um a plus just really <laughs> good. well because v also like it one aspect that you explore here is the fact that though V is obviously non-binary um, and for a lot of the book presents um, masculine, uh, mostly I think A, because they want to explore that side of themselves, but to just exist in the world in a less uh, annoying way. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, they, they talk about how though that they have been raised 
as a woman. And so they are lacking in education, um, experience. They, there's a, so much that they don't know. Um, and one of those things is you although that although V is so brash and so like so brazen and so open about themselves and their sexuality and stuff, they actually don't know anything. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Like V uh, V is a very horny virgin and their sole exposure to sex has been stealing pornographic novels from their aunt. <laughs> yes. And um oh that speaking of historical research yeah uh in graduate school i did read a fair amount of old french porn <laughs> oh i love it which is a very particular genre um but anyway so nobody in the porn is using any form of contraception and so yeah. v just has no notion about this yeah and like this is one of my particular like weird hang-ups or soapboxes or whatever like i just want there to be more contraception in historical romance yes because they were using it yeah like not everybody was and not everybody knew about it but some people did and um and of course the other way that you can avoid pregnancy which is actually the way that they end up choosing to do it is that you can just do different stuff yeah (laughs) like that's also okay um it's fair it's fine so so yeah it was uh really fun to write the scene where v's aunt is like listen I don't want to be in charge of you and your lust. <laughs> so here's a sponge. <laughs> Bye. Have fun, but not too much fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was so good. And it was just, I, I love the way you threaded that in there of like, uh, using the word realism, like is not fun, but it, it is, it is there. Like, y- yes, um, their identities are their identities, but they've been raised culturally kind of in these diff- completely different bubbles and how that completely changes how they view the world. And which is so fun because their personalities you would think would be swapped, right? Because V you'd think would be like browbeaten and shy and like has been raised to fit this very particular mold, this, uh, what is it, like useless and pretty, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they're not. <laughs> they're yeah. not that at all. Well, they come out fighting. Yeah, in a way, like, V has been chafing against these strictures their whole life. Yeah. And, like, they they get kicked out and it's terrible, but it's also an opportunity to be free. And so yes. so finally they're like, yeah, like, I'm going to be myself now. And, uh, and yeah, it turns out that... <laughs> God, I I loved that that discussion that they have um, when Jay asks them um, if they're a royalist. That the discussion they have early on in the book, where they're sitting in the room, and and they have that conversation where, like, what do you believe in? Then, like, are you are you Catholic? Like, are you are you Jacobite? Like, what what do you believe in? And V is very honest, and they're like, I don't know what I believe in. All I know is I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to survive and be me. Um, and there's a way to take that that's very cynical, but Jay looks at them and is like, oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> like, I wish that I, I had an ounce of this ferocity mm-hmm. to, to simply be exactly who I am, um, and to do what I need to do to make that happen. Um, but on the other end of that, we have V who is so reverent with Jay's softness, right? Like there is something that they find so lovely about that. And so they're so complimentary. It's just, it's ah, so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it was really fun to think about um, like what uh, feminine education consisted of at this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and V has had a particularly sheltered and kind of isolated upbringing because they have such a shitty family. So this is not necessarily a portrait of like what all young women were experiencing. Like certainly there were educated women. Um, There were people who were much more accepting of uh, women learning anything at all. But but (laughs) but V's family is not like that. (laughs) And V, kind of their dominant personality trait is curiosity mm-hmm. and and they have been denied knowledge their whole life and so when they get out they're like 
I am going to learn something. <laughs> I yeah. it, This is like so beautifully emphasized by the what their first experiment with their magic, which um, I don't want to spoil too much because obviously the book hasn't come out and I just desperately want people to read it. But uh, their magic involves uh, persuasion. Would you say like yeah. using like the written word, they can convince somebody that something is is say money when it's not. Um, and their first instinct is to go to the tailor and then the tailor <laughs> to pay the tailor with you know fake money, and then they feel so bad that they come back uh, and they pay for everything themselves because they do, they don't want to do that to a poor poor nice tailor. But then they go to the bookstore and they do the same thing. <laughs> Um, because they they are desperate to to read to get more knowledge and to do all this stuff but also to experiment and it's just it's such a beautiful little vignette of like uh v's personality and what they value (laughs) yeah looking good reading good books crime (laughs) yes (laughs) no i am you know the the drill tweet that's like the budget where it's like oh, the candles yeah food three hundred dollars rent you know this much money candles three thousand dollars somebody who's good at the economy please help me budget <laughs> like that that is V <laughs> oh my god and I I love there's like there's so much angst in the beginning of them being like well okay let me make a list I don't know what else to do I'm gonna make a list there's so many lists and it's like okay what am I good at how do I get a job okay well I can't I can't do anything I'm passably good at writing uh what if I married a girl (laughs) can I can I get money that way Um, like and then of course they then eventually settle on crime like I just (laughs) what if I became a lawyer I don't that can't be too hard right no I'm gonna think I'm gonna do crime yeah. <laughs> oh, so 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 good. Um I am I'm so excited for everybody to read this book. I'm I can't wait to to recommend this to people. I can't wait to get this into my bookstore. Um I'm going to recommend the hell out of this oh, to everybody. Thank you. Um, you're so welcome. It's so good. I mean, I I'm not I like historical romances, but I tend to shy away from them. Because I don't, I don't know, I, I can only write about historical rich people, you know, or read about historical rich people for so long before I'm like, you were probably all terrible. Yes. You definitely profited off the slave trade. And I just mm-hmm. gotta live with that while we read this and pretend like you're a good person. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. I can suspend my disbelief a little bit for a while, but it's not, it's not my favorite. But when I encounter a book like yours where you take such a human look at everything and you, you clearly have such compassion for the characters and for what they would have gone through at the time and like we talk about world building a lot right in fantasy and in sci-fi and all those things but it is equally important well in any book even contemporary it's it's yeah exactly yeah but in in historical novels like i think it's one of those things that gets neglected in favor of this um dogmatic sort of accuracy thing that people are obsessed with when I'm like I don't care so much about the accuracy I care about the world building how much do you care about the world that they exist in do you care just as much as somebody who's writing sci-fi because you should yeah well and and this question of accuracy so often gets wielded as a cudgel Mm -hmm. uh, especially against people who want to write Black historical romance, queer historical romance. Absolutely. Yeah. Romances about other people of color, like this idea that like, oh, well, there weren't any queer people or black people or people of color. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not true. (laughs) And also, if it was true, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, I did want to acknowledge that. So yeah, like this, this historical moment, like I obviously made some changes to the world in that like magic exists. <laughs> yes. Um, so so anytime people want to say to me like, though that's not historically accurate, I'll be like, well, it's a fantasy novel. <laughs> I, I loved um, your little note in the beginning where you're like, I'm playing with the laws of physics and reality. Like what, it doesn't matter. Everything else is fine. <laughs> yeah, but I did want to acknowledge that. Yeah. And this is in the book, like characters talk about it, that if you have a lot of money in 1823 in France, Mm-hmm. probably you got that money through um, not even probably like you got that money through exploiting human beings yes. right like if you are ultra rich that is immoral yeah and um that's not to say that there aren't 
acceptable ways to earn money in this world. Like yeah. you can exchange your labor for wages. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But just that, uh, that yes, the people who were ultra rich at this moment, whether they were aristocracy or like these families kind of new money because they're bankers. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's well, they're not totally new money because they also own land. But anyway, <laughs> It gets it gets wiggly either way. It's it's built off of at this time, like wealth did not come from. I mean, there was something nasty somewhere if you are rich and probably a lot of nasty. Yeah. And I didn't want to sort of pretend away the like terrible injustice of Mm -hmm. capitalism at this time. Like, yes, there was the slave trade. Yes, there was terrible exploitation of the working poor, like, uh, that's not hugely present in the book, but I do think that there is a lot of historical romance that, that basically wants to exist as a kind of fantasy with no magic in it. Like it's a little fairy tale about people with pretty dresses and balls. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, uh, I wanted to really locate this story in a particular time and place and acknowledge like yeah like a lot of parts of this world are ugly Um, but that doesn't mean that people can't do good and find happiness yes which is also true of right now (laughs) yes yeah i mean it, it it never stops it never stops and you have to i mean the the reason i love romance novels is because they are foundationally about hope and human connection um even the ones that are not super great, right? Like they, <laughs> they, they are, and because that is the core. The core of it is a happily ever after, right? And to do that, you have to have some sort of human connection and happiness. Um, and in a world that seeks to stamp that out as often and as painfully as possible, no matter what decade it is, um, that is radical and beautiful. And I think that is something that should be celebrated. Um, and you know, that's the whole freaking point of this podcast right yeah um so you know I, I i think that your your book is gorgeous and i am so excited for people to read it and i'm so excited for it to come out i want it to absolutely go t- gangbusters um <laughs> it's it's just it's just beautiful felicia and you should be extremely proud of yourself um I know you put in a ton of ton of work yeah. to make it as well, beautiful yeah, as it thank is. Thank you so much. Can I like come back on this podcast and you can you can like <laughs> encourage me some more? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, here's the my philosophy is right. Like I don't really talk about books that I I don't like. I don't think that it's productive to put that out into the universe. I'm not a reviewer. This isn't a review podcast. This is a podcast to celebrate wonderful books and wonderful people who are doing their best and who are making really beautiful things. And I'm also, you know, I'm an author, I'm a bookseller, I've been in this industry a while. And so I have a very unique perspective on what it what it's like to write books, but also what it's like to interact with authors. And honestly, it is it is such an isolating experience that when I can get an author to sit down with me for an hour and I can tell them to their face that they are doing a wonderful job <laughs> and that their book is great and that I enjoyed the hell out of it, I'm going to do that as much and as loudly as I possibly can. Yeah. No, I I feel very similarly about reviewing. Like I write a newsletter that is about romance novels that I've been yeah. reading and I I talk pretty much exclusively about ones that I have loved. Um, And it's not like I'm reading a lot of stuff that I don't love. Because pretty much if I'm not into a book, then I'm just setting it aside. Um, But yeah, it's been really fun to find the books that I love and to tell other people about them. So Yeah, to put that positivity in the world and be like, listen, this is wonderful and everything is garbage right now. But here's something that can (laughs) affirm you a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Like my gift to you. Um, and it, you know, you can't always do that, but, but you can, oh God, it is, it is such a small, but essential part of human existence, I think, is to share the love of something yeah. with another person. Um, and speaking of, Hey, it's your, it's your plug zone. Please tell people where they can find you, where they can get your books. You have a lot of books out. You were telling me before we recorded about your audiobooks. plug them, tell them, tell them all. Yes. Okay. So 
Um, we have been talking about Scandalous Letters of V and J, which comes out May 16th and is available mm-hmm. in print and ebook forms. And um, I have written other books. I've written sci-fi and fantasy in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, FeliciaDavin.com is my website. I am also um, probably too often on Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> At least, you know, it seems to be continuing to exist in whatever form. So I'm I'm on Twitter yeah. as Felicia Davin. I'm very occasionally on Instagram as Felicia Davin writes. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll stop there. I'm a, on a couple other platforms. But, well, yeah. well, yeah, so we'll tell us a little bit about your newsletter. Oh, yes, though. the newsletter. Um, the newsletter is called Word Suitcase. And it um, is about, so I am a huge nerd for etymologies. I love to look up words in the dictionary and find out about their origins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I do this really frequently as part of my writing work. And sometimes I find some that are just wild and I need need to tell people about it. And so in order to spare my poor family and friends, just me constantly giving a long monologue about etymology. (laughs) I am now channeling it into this newsletter called Word Suitcase, where um, the newsletter comes out usually every two weeks. Lately, it's been once a month because I've been busy. Um, But uh, it's one word that I explore the history of. And sometimes when I'm really on my shit, it's thematically connected to whatever romance novels I've been reading. But I love it. I often love it. it's just like, here's a word that I looked up and found out something wild about. And here are some romance novels that I have loved reading recently. That is a absolutely like instead of it being like this is the themed drink for the month. And here are the books that I think like are like connected to this drink or whatever. You're like, here's just a really cool word and some book recs. Like, oh, oh, that's that is peak nerd shit. I love it. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> peak nerd shit. <laughs> So yes, that is called Word Suitcase, and it's available at my website. And uh, yeah, you can read the archives on the website. And also, if you would like to receive it in your inbox, it's free. And yeah, right now it's coming out once a month, but sometimes it comes out uh, twice a month. So. All right. Well, I will have all of the links below, as well as the pre-order link for uh, the Scandalous Letters of V&J. Um, your website link and your newsletter link, all of that will be in the description below, as per usual. Um like obviously this entire podcast has been an endorsement but i really truly cannot uh express enough how much i want everybody to read this book um don't be scared off by it being 500 pages long it is gorgeous and yeah well and also some of the pages only have like one line of text on them because the letters are short (laughs) yeah i was explaining this to my roommate over breakfast this morning i was like i was like okay listen okay (laughs) again i was up to like 1 a.m thinking about this book so i woke up and i was like i need to talk to somebody about it (laughs) so i was talking to my roommate over breakfast and i was like it's like 500 pages long but don't even worry about it because you know these are letters right so there's a page break whenever there's the end of the letter so some of the letters are only like like a paragraph long and you skip it and you go next so you're blazing through so it says that it's like eight hours long in your kindle thing don't worry about it <laughs> it, was a, it was a whole pitch to my roommate who doesn't really read so um you know that that's that's where i'm at <laughs> um yes but i you know i i i do i do absolutely love this book and it, i can hands down say that this is probably one of my favorite books of this year like i don't do a top 10 but if i did a top 10 this would be in my top 10 oh wow um well that is yeah that makes me so happy to hear (laughs) it's i mean it was it was gorgeous and it was so unique and that's you know it's not when i say that i feel like i'm implying the, the romance novels that are not necessarily super unique are not as worthwhile and they absolutely are but there is something to be said for a book that does something different and so exquisitely so felicia you're badass and I can't wait for everybody to read this book. I am going to pitch this to everybody in my bookstore. <laughs> and it's going to be great. We're all going to have a little book club. Um, uh, and I'm going to be, I'm gonna, everyone's going to look at me like I'm a, like I'm a tastemaker because I found a book for everybody else. All right. Um, <laughs> yes. It's that, that's, that's the currency in a bookstore. Um, <laughs> uh, but speaking of, I have things out if, if y'all want them, you know, you know how to find me. Um, I have a lot of things happening in May. So many things. I have a book coming out called Strike that comes out on May 30th. You can get it in ebook and paperback. You can only pre-order the ebook now. But um, it's like 
55,000 words long. It's pretty short. Um, it's very fun. It's about a lightning elemental and a dragon man. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just a good time. It's just a good time. I heard from one of my ARC readers recently that they were either bawling or laughing every single page. So I don't know what to make of that, but it uh, sounds like it's something. It sounds like a great uh, experience. Cathartic, at least. Yeah. Low stakes. Low stakes. Sometimes I add peril. No peril in this one. Just a dragon man who doesn't know how to communicate. And a genius elemental just trying to figure her shit out. Um, which, when I say it like that, it sounds absolutely fucking insane. But it, it makes sense in the universe. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And then I have um, special prints are going out to every single one of my patrons this month. I have these really cool holographic prints to, to celebrate. They're like a thingy. Oh, that's very shiny. pretty. Yeah, it's very shiny. Um, so if you want to join my Patreon, this is the month to do it. I'm also sending out sticker packs this month. Um, as for the podcast, you know, you know where to find it on all the social medias. All the links are below in, you know, whatever. Y'all, y'all been here. You know, it's okay. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for being here with me, Felicia, and letting me gush at you for uh, about an hour now. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Of course. Well, I can't wait to have you back. So whatever you're doing next, hop on. I will. All right. <laughs> All right. See you next week, listeners. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.